Hello and welcome to the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar, and on this podcast, we find out who is an asset in the financial industry and who is just an ass. It is. The BMIs are stupid. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, and this will be our first conversation offline. I'm very excited to have this person on. They are also in the insurance industry. And without further ado, welcome, Mr. Depot. Hey, guys, this is Casey from the future. After going through the podcast and doing some edits, we've realized that there were some things that just kind of slipped through the cracks, didn't get brought back up, didn't give me the red flag. And we kind of just kept going and going back through it. We're sitting here going, wait, what did he say? So I'm going to be coming in here to make a couple corrections, give a little bit more insight now that I've had the time to hear the podcast episode. And this is not me saying you know, Depot's a bad guy. But there are some things that I wish that I talked to him about. Um, and it would not be just of us to put this episode out there without making these corrections. So we are going to listen to the podcast episode and go through it right now. And I will be back when there are points that need to be made. Here we go. Hey, Casey, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for having me on board. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. You know, we both work in the insurance industry. I would love to know how you got into the industry. One of my business partners who we've done other businesses together, he's been following up with me about, you know, becoming an agent for years, but I've never really, you know, saw the need to get involved in the industry selling life insurance. But I think I was very intrigued about IULs and okay. just the concept of being able to use life insurance why you're still alive as opposed to after you pass away, which is the narrative that we've all been sold. So once I understood that product, it just became an obsession for me to really get the information out there to empower a lot of people with it. And I, I mean, I feel the same when I heard about the product and understood the value. It was like, OK, so which rooftop are we screaming off of um, <laughs> to, to get this information out there? Right. Because I looked around yeah. at my life and said, no one knows about this stuff. Absolutely. Right. No one knows about it. Do you mind if I ask you what other businesses that you have? Yep. So we're also like in the healthcare industry as well, where we do okay. uh, staffing, do some a little bit of stuff in the real estate game. We yes. have quite a number of businesses in Africa. And so we have, you know, we're into agriculture, transportation back in Nigeria and Rwanda. So mm -hmm. hands are in like, you know, different pots at the same yeah. time. But of course, my baby now is the life insurance uh, line of business. You have your hands in all these different businesses, right? You're an entrepreneur. Why do you think you've been successful as a business owner? I've always had this proclivity to, you know, buy something and resell it, getting a good deal in, you know, finding buyers, that entrepreneur spirit. But I yeah. would say like when I became more, a little bit more matured, 1819, kind of, you know, diverted into network marketing. So that's where I learned a lot of my sales skills, my presentation skills, 
And from there, just started, you know, opening different businesses along the way, which got me to where I am today. So what's made you successful when it comes to the insurance industry specifically? Because it is so, you know, it's a people business. It's a people business. Um, There's a lot of listening, understanding, um, empathizing with with people because it's their money. Right. So why do you think you've been successful in this industry? I think education. Right. I mean, just like you said, Casey, a lot of people like you said, really, like, which roof do I need to scream out, you know, scream (laughs) from? Because a lot of people are not informed. Right. And I wasn't informed. You weren't informed until somebody else told us. So I feel I feel like social media gave us the platform to be able to scream from this roof to a lot of people. And as a result of that, because nobody else was screaming, that kind of opened up plethora of doors, you know, for me to scale the business. For sure. For sure. So do you focus on education a lot with your clients? Yeah, just educating, creating different types of content, illustration. Like it's all about how you present the information. And I Mm -hmm. think from what my clients tell me, they just like the way I simplify how this thing works. And people need that. It's it's very obvious when you talk to people, they need a simple breakdown and so much. There's so much verbiage in the insurance industry that just goes right over people's heads, Um, even as an agent. Right. You get into this industry and you're like, it's a new language you have to learn. So uh, when you started your insurance journey, were you approached by a friend? Are you working for with the same people when you started in 2021? Kind of what does that look like for you? So the first agency I started with, I'm no longer with them. You know, I found a better, you know, better IMO that I was able to partner with and just kind of started building with them. That my story is very similar. I started with a company. I appreciate them for getting me into the industry and teaching me the minimum. I don't know if it's they don't take it that serious or they're just selfish. But my experience when I first got in is that people were misleading clients a lot. Like they were not mm-hmm. talking about life insurance. They were talking about a tax advantaged account, right? That you could mm-hmm. get your clients into. Yeah. Have you experienced that in the industry? Yeah, I've had to redo quite a number of policies. For example, I had a client who called me at one point in time, got a policy, a million dollar policy, paying a thousand dollars a month. He calls, you know, the insurance company, hey, I want to borrow money for my cash value. I think he said about five years, it was some crazy number of years. When he called them, he only had a couple of thousands. In essence, he's been paying a thousand dollars every month and really didn't accumulate anything. So he wanted to build cash value, but unfortunately, you know, we both know that agents in the industry can do things to favor them as opposed to, to the client. When you work with a client like that who has a policy with, you know, that's not set up correctly, what did you end up telling him? I mean, of course, I told him the truth and he he kind of realized that he he was, quote unquote, screwed over. That's the same organization that I actually left where they focus more on higher death benefits. So, I mean, he found that out. And unfortunately, he's been telling his clients to structure their policy the same way his is structured. So he kind of felt a little, you know, bad that he's been misleading people because he yeah. didn't know any better. Do you feel comfortable to share which carrier you're talking Which company? Yeah, I don't own him anything. Transamerica. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. No, you, you've heard that a million times here, folks. Transamerica yeah. is not yeah. a good company to go to. I mean, I've never seen a Transamerica policy that I thought was like, wow, this is this is fine. I would love to see a Transamerica policy that was set up correctly. The people at the top don't know exactly what they're doing and they're teaching people to do what they are doing. Casey, I think it's more so like the agent. I mean, I won't necessarily put the blame on Transamerica because obviously any agent can structure a policy the right way. I just meant I I wish that I could see a 
a properly designed yeah, Transamerica policy to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> It, it can be agree. valuable, right? But I just have never seen one, on, which is so unfortunate because Transamerica is one of the well, most well-known companies. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. So you don't work with Transamerica now. Were you working with WFG? When I first at that started? Point, when you first yeah, started? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I only, I just make that assumption because the, the more I dig into people's kind of experiences, sure. WFG and Transamerica are connected all the yeah, time. Yeah, synonymous. Like, yeah. that's their number yeah. one carrier. That they yeah. Use. You'll be the, the second person of this season to say that exact same thing. That World Financial Group pushes Transamerica. It's not a good, it's not a good thing because yeah. of the way that they're training agents. Um, it has, you know, it has nothing to do with the overall product. We're not talking about that. It's the way the policy is designed. Depot, do you work with FFL? Yes, that is correct. You do? How do you like it? Because I've said some questionable things about FFL only because I've sure. heard questionable things. I would love to know your experience. Sure. My experience has yeah. been pretty good so far. Yeah. Just like you said, Casey, I've heard, you know, people having negative experiences and things like that. But for me personally, I try not to allow other people's experience, negative experience to affect my experience with a particular person or, you know, company, if that makes sense. Of course, of course. This is why this is the beauty of what I'm trying to do on this show, right, is in the past I've said, hey, look at this situation. Sure. You know, I have evidence of FFL being involved. And now, hey, and I'm talking to Depot and he works with FFL. And, sure. you know, like I, I we need the both experiences. People Absolutely. need to know that there is good and bad. If I could drive home that point that it is about the agent because they have the power to decide if your policy is good or not. It brings value 100%. or not. When I hear about FFL, it's a lot of final expense. And you're yep. saying right now you don't do a lot of final expense. Yeah. I actually haven't heard many people talk about being a part of FFL and selling IULs. So that's new for me. So to kind of chime in on that, Casey. So when I first came on board with FFL, almost literally nobody was doing IULs. Okay. Right? And okay. that's why I was very thankful to WFG because that's all I knew coming on yeah. board. And when people just kind of saw, you know, I guess my numbers, like, who is this guy? Where is he from? So that now kind of gave an insight to people like, wait, like, this is a product. The product is good. How can we actually start to push this product? Now you're at FFL, right? And you came in hot with clients and business and people were looking at you. That's Is that right? Say. That's what they say. Okay. Because <laughs> I know FFL does recruiting, of course. Yeah. Are you actively recruiting? Do you have a team? Have you had pressure from recruiting? So yeah. it's funny, Casey, because that's one of the things that attracted me to FFL, right? Okay. Because I wasn't being forced to recruit. Now, over time, you know, my numbers are pretty good, even till now every month. I realized, well, one of my mentors in FFL basically stated to me, like, hey, listen, yes, you're good, but how different would it be if you had 10, 20 people and you get an override of 10%, 20%. Yeah. So that kind of made sense to me. Pause. That should have been red flag number one. Um, there's a difference between needing people to help you because your business is very successful and wanting to make money off of other people's work. Go sell a bunch of policies so that I can make money. Yeah, but in his own words, right, FFL is not an MLM. Now I'm actively trying to recruit because I pretty much made it to a level where my numbers are okay and just want to start building a full-time agency. And I, I completely see the 
the benefit of of recruiting, building a team. Power Three Financial is not just Casey. Right? I have a company. It's not just that me. Means, I need people yeah. to work with me. But I I went a different route. My concern about recruiting is usually. What does it look like for these new agents? Are they getting the support that they need? Are they getting the training they need? Who's in charge of that? Overall, from family first life standpoint, there is training. I mean, I think there are too many trainings, right? And that's okay. not what <laughs> they want you to excel, right? It's trainings for everything. Yeah. Uh, personally, I also have tutorials, trainings that I put together for people that I onboard. Just mm-hmm. because we are, you know, we're contracted with so many carriers, you have to learn this illustration here this one with this company. So yeah. their core companies that I use, I basically created tutorials on how to run illustrations, how to structure properly, how to actually process an application. Now, the other hint is how bad does that agent want it, right? So of course, you can course. get the license, you can do the, have mm-hmm. all the trainings, but if you're, you know, if you have bad work ethics, you're lazy and you just want to be spoon fed, Personally, I'm just too busy to do all of that. Um, but once I see that you're fully committed, you're a go-getter, you want it bad, I'm 100% like pushing you to like, let's do it. You know what I mean? He sounds nice. He sounds like there is intention behind what he's doing. And he knows that he's being tested. He knows he's on the You're an Asset podcast. I guess I shouldn't assume that people are just going to admit when they're doing something sketchy or, or gross. Absolutely. Work ethic, drive, hunger, wanting to treat clients correctly Um, because someone can be hungry and have the drive but then be seeing dollar signs and it's hard to catch those ones but you got to get those ones out of there too (laughs) now let's let's talk about proper structure (laughs) proper structure you know hey client 30 year old wants to contribute 500 dollars a month what do you do well i mean of course you know it depends on what they want to do overall, right? Are you looking sure. to do 500 one time or do you want to do five, you know, do 500 a month and be able to put in extra two to three grand periodically throughout the course of the year? What? I don't know how I missed this part. $500 one time for the year for the policy's life? Example's sake, yeah, $500 a month. No extra, they don't want to do anything more. That's it. With that structure, what I would do is minimum death, maximum cash value. Death benefit option? Yes. Minimum death benefit option, maximum cash value. Because at at Mm -hmm. a 30 year old, you probably just starting a family or maybe do not have a family. You're thinking about kind of putting something away for retirement supplement or investment purposes. So typically I I would do an increasing Right. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, your audience know these terminologies, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so increase it basically allows you to kind of get more for your, you know, money from a cash value standpoint. Um, so that's simply what I would do unless otherwise they want to do like other things with the policy, like putting more money down the road. Yeah. So so if they want to put more money, let's say they do want $2,000 of extra funding room per year, then what are you going to do? In some cases, it may be like a target premium. Um, so target premium basically means that if you structure it that way, um, when an agent solves for target premium, they're setting your policy up so that you're paying basically the minimum to keep your policy in good standing. But if you ever dropped your premium from the target premium, your policy would be in danger of lapsing. This is a huge problem in the industry and it's not okay. It give you just the right death benefit for your $500 contribution, 
but it mm-hmm. also gives you this wiggle room to be able to put in, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. If someone tells you I want to pay five hundred dollars a month, they didn't say I want to pay five hundred dollars a month and I want to have the room to casually drop twenty grand a year on top of it. That's four or five times more what they wanted to contribute as wiggle room. I now start to play with the numbers to make mm-hmm. sure that he doesn't have too much death benefit. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was fooled because he is saying things like he's going to play around with the numbers to make sure he's not giving you too much death benefit. And so I hear that and go, OK, good. Just enough to be able to put in, you know, that 20 or $10,000 a year extra. You wouldn't do this <laughs> if a client wants to pay six grand a year, $500 a month but they want the ability to contribute an extra two grand a year. The way that you do that is make the policy have a max contribution of eight grand and solve for the minimum amount of death benefit. You do not solve for the target premium and the minimum amount of death benefit. This is the incorrect way to set up a policy and you're gonna end up giving your client way more than just $2,000 of room. And now you've increased their cost of insurance and limited their cash value growth. That is just wrong. You're screwing the client over. Unfortunately, when we stopped recording the podcast with Depot, we were offline and we were chatting. And Depot said something to me along the lines of, hey, Casey, how do you get your clients to have a cash value on year one? And you guys have no idea how badly I wish we were still recording. At this point... It's basically common knowledge that when you purchase an IUL, you should be contributing 10 times your age per month into that policy. And that is going to produce a cash value on year one if it's coupled along with the minimum death benefit and max accumulation policy design. So the fact that Depot is asking me this tells me that he's either not listening to the insurance 101 (laughs) information that is online that he has complete access to. Or he's actually giving his clients way too much death benefit and doing what he's saying, solving for the target premium, which is not going to give his clients a cash value on year one. Are you using an increasing death benefit option still? Yes. So okay. as long as this client is, still, is very young, I always use increasing because of okay. course, after a certain while, you have the option to change it from increasing to level, right? Yeah. Um, yep. But if you're anything like above 55-ish and you're doing like $200 and... If a 55-year-old came to me and said, I want to contribute $200 a month into an IUL, I would not do business with them unless their entire goal and purpose of purchasing that policy is for the permanent death benefit and maybe the living benefits because that is not going to produce a cash value for them. Like, I don't even talk about increasing, right? It's really just level policy. And most people at that age, I don't see them putting in anything extra anyway, so... A lot of uh, agents... We'll use level on young people. And so to hear you say young people should have an increasing death benefit. Of course, there are situations. Young person, increasing death benefit. What you said you would start using level for someone older. What other situations would you use a level death benefit? If your monthly premium is pretty, it's kind of low. I'm not going to do that, right? Or if you're looking for a situation where you want more death benefit coverage that it makes sense that you do a level as opposed to increasing so if they're if they're older if they want more death benefit sure right do a level play around see the value of the policy the projection i find that using a level death benefit when just about anyone if we're talking about a five pay of you know say 30 grand a year or more 
and they just want to pay for five years, Level works really well in that situation. Have you nice. seen that? Not really. Nah, nah, oh, nah. Okay. But that's, yeah. So, so you're saying if a client wants to only pay for five years, right? Mm -hmm. And then just kind of be done, one and done. With a bigger premium. Yeah. So I, I've never had that type of situation. So that's why. But yeah, that's definitely good to know, though. Just let us know new. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. You know, I'm a big proponent of telling people that most of the time you don't want a level death benefit. If sure. you're focusing on cash value accumulation, a level death benefit is just not going to get you where you want to be. I've come across, you know, like a 55 year old, he says, hey, I want to put 50 grand into the policy for, you know, a shorter amount of time. I want to retire. And that level death benefit with the short funding works so nicely. Nice. I've heard someone from National Life Group, a like a regional, like a high up, training a bunch of people saying you only use increasing death benefit options for a very small child and that everyone else should get a level death benefit because if you put them into an increasing death benefit they're not going to remember that they have to switch their death benefit option and they kind of use this as a reason that they're going to do level instead of increasing and tell everyone just put everything level. Yeah, I've heard something similar on a, on a call, you know, with NLG where, the, you know, the, the manager, whoever was saying something similar. My question was in a situation where the client asked the question, what happens to my cash value when I pass away, right? Like there, you really don't have a justified, justifiable answer to that question, right? Like how do you explain that you have $500,000 death benefit, you build $100,000 in cash value, pass away, and then all of a sudden, this hundred grand just somehow, some way, is gone somewhere. You know, so I've never really, I still don't um, agree with that philosophy. I do know yeah. that in some instances, level do pay better. And I'm like, well, that's good, but it's not good for the client if you're putting them in level, especially if they don't know the difference. You see what I mean? And that's where the problem mostly lies. He said a lot of correct things in this section, um, which puts my guard down of trying to see if he's an ass or not. He admitted that he knows that level death benefit option is going to pay out more, but also just selling your client more death benefit than they need to fully fund their policy is going to pay out more too. Agents are paid a commission based on how much death benefit they sell. Both of these ways of handling your client's policies are making your paycheck bigger. I feel like that excuse of, oh, they won't remember to, to switch it from increasing to level like all of a sudden we're victim blaming our clients here. <laughs> if you're not going to educate your client about this one thing they have to do, and you're saying they're not capable of doing that. Right. I, I take offense to this immediately. Right. I've done this on purpose for training purposes to show um, clients, you know, who have said, is it really that much worse? Is it really not good? Whatever. You compare that target premium, the target premium or TP, right? On an increasing policy versus a level policy the agent is making at least double for a level death benefit. And so, of course. So it makes sense for the agent, yeah. Yeah. Now, I always tell people that if I were to structure like policies the way most people do it, I'd be extremely wealthy by now. Even though I've been successful, I sleep well at night because I know that every dollar that I have made, I did right by the client. I don't know if you know Dan or 360 Financial Group. Dan is my friend. <laughs> oh, Dan is your friend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, not like Fred, but I know him. Let me put it there. Not like a buddy buddy yet. Seemed like Depot didn't want to be involved with Dan there. <laughs> Dan is setting up policies and teaching all of his agents to set them all up level. Interesting. I've had clients come to me with their policies from his company and show me <laughs> what mm. he's doing. And I have recordings from guys teaching Dan's team that the client can't remember to switch it. Do everything level. You only do increasing for a very small child. And, and I'm sorry to if you liked Dan or didn't know this, but this will be everywhere yeah. by the time this episode comes out. Like what people choose to do is is completely up to them, you know. And yeah. but for me, I can only take responsibility for what I do, right? My yeah. my faith kind of you know guides everything that I do. My faith in God, mm -hmm. so I do everything as ethically as possible. I I agree with him here. I think that agents do believe what they're doing is morally correct and ethical. Um, and I I think the same goes for Depot. I think Depot believes that what he's doing is ethical and is the right thing. And he truly believes that. But according to this conversation, he's not. Um, just like you, Casey, I want to be able to sleep well at night, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. want dirty money in my kelp type of deal. So um, unfortunately, it's the education piece, right? This, is, mm -hmm. this goes back to what I said earlier. Um, if you understand something and you're properly educated and your clients are well-informed, then Ultimately, you let them make the decision, right, of what they yeah. want to do with that information. So NLG, they do what they do. Well, I wouldn't even say NLG, right? But once again, yeah. it boils down to what type of education is being passed on to the agents. Personally, for me, I would never do that. It's it's very unfortunate because yeah. what you're saying, it, it trickles down. It's not even that Dan said, this is the way to do it, you guys. Someone told Dan how to do it wrong and someone told the guy above him to do it a certain way, which is not so, right. And but the funny thing, if, so agents who do it believe that what they're doing is right. And, you know, exactly. And that's it all yeah. boils down to like your personal beliefs and what you think is ethical. So Depot took a lot of stances during our conversation where he kind of said, hey, whatever they're going to do, whatever they're doing, that doesn't involve me. I don't have anything to say about that. People are going to make their own choices. And I agree to a certain extent. If I agreed fully, I wouldn't be here making this podcast. I think there's a certain point where you have to step up as a professional. This is people's money. It's their livelihood. It's their retirement. It's their kids' futures. To not take a stand and just say it doesn't affect me, I don't think is a very empathetic way to view it. If I'm a teacher and I know that the teacher next to me in the other classroom is teaching children that two plus two equals five, and I don't say anything because, well, she's going to do whatever she's going to do. And it's not my problem. Is it really not my problem, though? Is it really morally OK for me to just be quiet? How does someone know as a consumer, as, a, as somebody on social media, how could they tell if someone is ethical or not? I don't know that I have an answer. I just... Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's funny because, Casey, I've had a lot of people, they'll reach out to me and say something like, I've been watching you for a while. People want to see if you're consistent across the board. The information we put out there is our resume. That's an evidence that they've been kind of watching me to see if there will be a discrepancy in, you know, the information that I put out, right? So yeah. I feel like the more consistent we are in what we say, the more people believe and feel like, 
well, this person obviously know what they're talking about, so I'm going to go with them. I'm I'm thinking about what you're saying because I get the same. I got it this morning. I had a, a brand new phone call with someone set up this morning. The phone call was six minutes long because he was like, Casey, I've been watching you for almost a year. I have no questions. I just know that you're Let's the person that's going to do this. And I was like, are you sure you got nothing? He's like, no, I'm good. And so, of course, as an agent, we need to take it upon ourselves to be consistent, to be transparent, to be factual, to be an educator. From what from your standpoint, it kind of seems like you're saying people need to do their due diligence. People need to research who they're talking to. You never know what kind of person I am, no matter what I say online. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's always good. Anything that relates to money that you do a little bit of research on your own, even before you reach out to an agent to have an understanding, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and you'll never know everything. That's why you need agents. Right. But I feel like when you take your knowledge and then bring that to the table when talking to an agent, you cannot make a well-informed decision. You're not easily deceived. And then mm-hmm. do your research on the agent that you're working with as well, yeah. right? Don't go to somebody who all they talk about is final expense and all of a sudden you want to do IULs or they've been talking about um, term policies for two years. Now, all of a sudden, you're an IUL expert. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. Do people take your content and post it to their pages? Absolutely. All, all the time. You tell me how you feel about it. I feel like this is an issue. What you said, of course, someone needs to do their due diligence. They need to go research the agent. How do you feel about the fact that someone could see your video on someone else's page and then reach out to that other company thinking you're involved with them? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You may think that that person is part of my team, one of my agents. But unfortunately, the way these platforms work, I mean, anybody can do like a duet. Anybody can do a remix. And anyone can save your content and download it to their phone. Right. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I do the same thing as well because I, I might like I've seen your kind of like yo this this lady's good. Um, but <laughs> the most important thing is even if an agent is doing that, you still got to understand how to structure these policies to benefit the client and not your pockets. So Depot just talked a lot about how he posts a lot of content on social media. I try to do my due diligence and watch my um, guests' content to see what they're posting and. Somehow I missed Depot is posting content that looks like this. And it's the same kind of content that I called out and spent an entire episode explaining why it was misleading and not okay to post this kind of content. And even since the episode was recorded, he's posted this kind of content over and over and over again, even today. And I really wish that I knew that he posted this ahead of time because I would have called him out on it. Salesman tactics, sales pitches, marketing techniques. That's exactly what those videos are all about. It's not about giving transparent, honest education. It's about getting someone to click a button and then tell them whatever you want once you get them on the phone. So for everyone listening, you need to do your research. You need to do research not only on what you're trying to buy, but you also need to research the person that you are trying to work with. Google is free, everybody. Like, you know, Google our names, Google our companies, Google things you see. Don't just, well, this video popped up, so I'm going to click it. Um, Yeah, yeah, it'll get you into trouble. Right now, because I know you said, you know, you got to build a team focusing on trying to find people that to come together. Would you say you're doing more recruiting or more business these days? And what do you think the future looks like? I recently just made the conscious decision that I want to do more recruiting. 
So mm-hmm. I'm talking maybe like two weeks ago, right? So I focused yeah. so much time in producing and helping clients, but now like in order to build, you know, a successful agency for myself, I do have to help other agents replicate mm-hmm. my success, right? So yeah. um, I have some people on my team who are producing now, but I just want to get more people on board to scale up. And you're finding most of these people online, right? Most find me, but I want to do most find you. But I, so I want to intentionally start finding. Okay, you need to start putting out the good vibes. Exactly to attract the right people. So the same okay. way I put out content for IUL Life Insurance, I want to start putting something together to attract agents who or people who are looking for extra income, right? Because yeah. you may not already yeah. have your license and you want extra income and things like that. So during this process, you're going to be pretty involved with the new people. Like if that's what you're focusing on, like this industry is very much about like the diamond in the rough, the person who maybe you don't expect to be good. And so it takes you spending your time with people to figure out who you want around too, because it's not like you just want anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those things I like about this industry. Um, We get to choose who we want to work with just because Mm -hmm. you have a license or you want to earn extra income. It's not me, you know, you're a right fit to work with me personally. Yeah, it's very intentional bringing on board the right people. And yeah, I yeah. appreciate that word intentional, that it's very yeah. intentional what you're doing. I, I got to go back to this land buying thing because I mentioned yep. it in the beginning. Sure. So you post on social media, you post about insurance, recruiting, joining the insurance industry, you're educating on money and finance. You talk a lot about mindset, too, which, you know, I really appreciate. But tell me about this land purchasing cut. So I was naive when this podcast was recorded to what land holding was. And so I asked a very simple question. What is this land buying? Tell me about it. But at the same time, all it took was a quick Google search to realize that buying land in Nigeria is taking away resources for local people and pushing them out of their own land. The conversation I had with Depot, he's very proud to be Nigerian and to be buying land over there, thinking it's a good thing. And so this feels weird, but it has to be said. So I, I will not allow for this kind of content um, to be to be on the show. Where gentrification happens is usually in a place where the land itself is extremely resourceful. There are so many resources that can be taken from this land and the people that live on this land, they're not the ones benefiting from the land. There's a huge gap of wealth inequality and the gentrification only amplifies the problem. If what he was doing was buying the land to then help the people there, the community there, give them resources help build the community for the people. This would be a different story, but it's not it's not like that at all. And so as someone who is Nigerian and is proud of this, it's a very unfortunate situation. Deepo even mentioned that it's not just him buying the land. He's getting other investors to come and help purchase the land, right? And then when the land does sell, everyone is benefiting off of this. I was just reading something that says the rate at which the core areas of most Nigerian cities are being gentrified particularly in the last two decades, is alarming and has caused great concern among city planners and the civil society at large. Some of these challenges include urban sprawl, inadequate housing, services and facilities, environmental pollution, decay in physical and social infrastructures, traffic and human congestion, inadequate employment opportunities, 
an increase in rates of crime and other social vices. I was uninformed and uneducated before this conversation with Depot. I naively asked about it in a positive way. If you want to be moral and ethical about how you make money, how money gets into your pockets, how you feed your family, make sure that you do research into the things that you're hoping to invest in because you never know who's on the other side of that that's being hurt. Most of what I'm going to say right now, 100% of it is back in Africa, right? So just understanding the position of Africa and what's you know looking to happen in the next couple of years, decade or so, um, being involved in the real estate sector over there is very lucrative. And mm-hmm. like I said, fortunately, I'm from Nigeria, so I had the opportunity to really get my hands dirty and see what's going on and things yeah. like that. So what we're doing now is more like acquisitions. So we're buying land spaces and in locations that are primed to be well developed in the very near future. So the yeah. concept is called land banking, right? You buy okay. new hope. So the moment mm-hmm. those places start to you know, become developed, you're not able to resell or develop yourself. One of the things we're doing is not only are we buying for ourselves, but we're also allowing people to participate in this thing, right? Where you're able to own a land. Um, some may choose to come and see it. Some may choose not to. But, you know, when we feel like it's the right time to sell, we notify and that we, you know, we make the sale and keep it moving. Okay. So the insurance and then the land banking is what where you have your hands right now? Primarily, yes. Primarily. Is, but there's other things? Within the insurance, there are also like other streams of income. So yes. we do like lead generation. I have a course on how, basically training agents on how to use social media like you and I to, to really scale their business. Like mm-hmm. So those arms of the insurance also bring in you know, income outside of like my personal production. I didn't know you had a course yeah. for agents. Is that what you, that's what you said, right? So yep. for agents, how long have you been doing the course and how many have you gotten a lot of traction with it? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So this was yeah. I think I started this maybe months ago. Um, OK, because what was happening, Casey, was a lot of people was like reaching out to me. Um, you know, how can I do what you're doing? Like, how do you do yeah. this? How do you do that? And if I'm trying to produce, I can't like help each person. Oh, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I just thought about the idea. Why not create something and just really just give them the blueprint of mm-hmm. what I do or what I've done to get to where yeah. I'm at today. And obviously you you may not get the exact same results that I've gotten, but that's the blueprint. But if you're consistent with it, I mean, guaranteed you're going to get results. So it's been very successful. Quite a decent number of people have um, enrolled in the course over time. I don't like courses. <laughs> sure, sure. People ask me this all the time <laughs> about like, Casey, can I take a course from you? Yada, yada. I don't know. There's, there's Google, right? And maybe it's, it's my personality, right? That I'm like, I can figure things out without your course. Sure. I mean, and I've gotten this far without anybody's, anybody's course. (laughs) So it might just be a me thing, right? I just, something about money, finance, insurance. And you see, I know you've seen these guys that sell like courses on finance 101. Yeah. And it just feels like a ripoff to me. It just feels like a ripoff. And so I've I've told myself that if I, I'm actually putting out a webinar, I'm actually putting out a book recently. And I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast. So if you're listening, nice. some exciting things are coming. But I just had this thing of like, if there is not something different or something so valuable that it deserves to be paid for, like I just can't understand why I wouldn't make it more free content. Sure. Right. Because I feel like that's the problem. Um, so if you're if you're making a course and you're like 
this is very specific. It's very specific. I'm giving people things that otherwise they're not going to find, right? Yeah. Then there is value in it. I just think that there's so many courses that it's the same crap that you could just sure. go and find yourself, you know? I'm exactly like you, Casey. I I will really pay for anybody's course because I believe there's Google, there's YouTube, and everything that I've learned about social media, digital marketing, or even like life insurance came as a result of me intentionally going out there to learn, right? Because yeah. I have time and I can do that. What I've learned is everybody doesn't think like that, right? People want things that are more structured, A, B, C, um, and people want to be handheld. Part yeah. of the course or whatever is like mentorship. You being able to get like specific information that you may not be able to get from somebody putting out videos out there, right? So yeah. I feel like that's where the value comes in. And a lot of people mm -hmm. that I've seen creating significant results out there are people who are going through the course and actually implementing what I advise them to do. Right. Yeah. So, I, yeah, 100 yeah, percent agree that, you know, if people uh, are willing to put in the time to go on Google, to go on YouTube, you can learn anything that you want to without a course. Yeah. But, 80% of the people are not going to do that. But then you mentioned something at the same time, right? You said earlier, like, I, I can't have anybody who needs their handheld. That's not going to work in this industry, yep. right? But then sure. the courses, you just said some people need their handheld. Yeah. So it's like, can they have their handheld for a bit? And then it's like, no more hand for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. So we're talking about two different things, right? So the first group of people, you're coming in as an agent, right? You're, yeah. uh, you pay for your license, you, you know, did a whole nine yard and you're not coming into an industry that requires you to actually do something with your license, right? You're not yeah. like you have this, the, the train is everything in place. Now yeah. the course on the other hand, these are people that I don't work with directly. They're not my yeah. agents. These are people you're coming from wherever else. Well, you can even be my agent, but you still want to be handheld. The reason yeah. why you have to monetize it is because my time is valuable. So I'm taking time that I'm supposed 100%. to be producing, time away mm -hmm. from my family, all these other things to now help you scale your business to the next level. You see what I mean? Yeah. So of course. for me, yes, I can put out free information all the time. I have yeah. consultation session with people every day for free, but it gets to a point in time, like I can't spend my whole office hours talking to people for free, right? Uh, yeah, to help of everybody. course. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, from that standpoint, that's why I got to feel like, hey, listen, if I'm really going to put the time in to help you, help you make money, which is valuable, then something got to give. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I've worked my ass off on this book. I'm not going to do it for free. Facts. But... 100%. There's always going to be people that if you don't tell me exactly what I have to do, I'm not going to be able to do it. And they could still end up being fantastic in whatever career path they take if they had those initial baby steps in there, you know, exactly in front of them. So, okay. If you had to choose one book, insurance book you recommend for anyone, The Power of Zero. The Power of Zero. I think I'm four and four. For that question. Oh, really? <laughs> the Power of Zero is a very powerful book and more people need to read it. And you're just, you know, solidifying that by saying nice. that book again. Listeners, if you have not read The Power of Zero, do it right now. Definitely. It's on Amazon. <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, what does tax code section 72E say? 72E, man, you just caught me off guard. So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you uh, hit me with a job on that one. <laughs> 
72E states that life insurance becomes a tax shelter. And as your money grows, all of the interest earned inside the policy is tax-free. So gotcha. 72E says when you're earning interest, as long as it's money you earned inside the policy, you're not going to be taxed on any of the gains. So then what's 101A? All right, Casey, you got to educate me now because you, you got me. You got to you got to educate me now. So listeners, I need you to listen. Like, um, I don't know everything, right? So <laughs> That's OK. So 7702, accessing funds tax free. 72E, money grows tax free. 101A says the money transfers to a beneficiary tax free. Gotcha. OK, so it's funny nice. because I like in theory, I understand. I know the concept, but as far as like the codes, I've never associated with each other. So I made the team memorize that stuff. I'm like, listen, wow. no one's getting caught off guard. Well, <laughs> like I, you I said. just got caught off guard on social <laughs> walk, wherever this is going. So it's all good. <laughs> um, don't ask me any more tax codes because I don't know. So don't ask me any more. <laughs> you better be careful with that because the, the yeah. last question on here is me deciding if you I think you're an asset or an ass. Oh, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do it. I, I So here's the deal. Regardless of whether you think I'm an ass, I know I'm an asset, right? So at the end of the day, we're going to be all good. Depot, you're not making the cut, my friend. It's great that Depot believes in himself. He believes in his business and he wants to monetize, monetize, monetize. But this is the problem with the industry. People are not holding themselves to a higher standard. They are not growing. They are not learning every single day how to do better for their clients. I don't think that Depot is really trying to learn more and trying to do better. I think he's comfortable and now he's going to go do recruiting. And this worries me because we've heard so many agents already say, oh, agents just write this company because they know how to use the software. Oh, they just write this company because that's what they're being pushed to sell. Oh, I just write this the same way I've written everything since the beginning because it works. This is how the industry is going to maintain its image that agents are scammers. People are always being screwed over. Policies bring no value because people are not willing to take the extra steps to make sure they're doing the absolute best job for their clients. Depot. If you're listening still, you have officially made yourself an ass. Why'd you come on the show? I I, I call people out on this show. I, I tell them they're an ass. I, I, <laughs> well, I mean, we have fun. But yeah, what, yeah, yeah. did you watch the podcast before? Did you know what you were getting yourself into? And if you did, what made you still want to come? Um, like I said, like, I've seen your reputation, what you've done over time. Um, I've looked up to you, like just seen the very valuable content that you put out there. So... When I saw what you were doing, I figured, I mean, some people may get busted as an asset, asset, but at the end of the day, like, once again, everybody's doing the best that they can. But it's all in the name of making the industry better. And so the fact that you can see that, I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Absolutely. To all the listeners, thank you for allowing me to come in here and and correct what was wrong and to give more insight. Thank you, Depot, for the insight you gave all of us on what it's like to be working with FFL and um, insight on ways that I can read through people better.
again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your continuous support. If you don't mind, like this episode, rate the show um, on Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you don't miss any episodes. This has been the You're an Asset podcast. I'm your host, Casey the Dollar, and we found out who is an ass in the financial industry. I'll see you next week. Bye. The You're an Asset podcast is not giving financial advice. We are not licensed financial advisors, and our licensing is strictly in insurance products. The information that we talk about is specific to the products that we work with. We cannot guarantee that other agents will have the same product features that we discuss on the show.